welcome to episode 254 of the Sports Geek. On this week's episode, I chat with Marina Go about media trends and why sports boards need diverse opinions. Welcome to Sports Geek, the podcast built for sports digital and sports business professionals. And now, here's your host who refers to wearing many hats, but rarely wears actual hats, Sean Callanan. Thanks, DJ Joel. Yes, my name is Sean Callanan, and I actually am wearing a hat. I don't wear hats that often. I used to wear hats, um, but I'm actually wearing a Gravitas hat right now. My name is Sean Callanan. You can find this podcast at sportsgeekhq.com and at all channels such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the like. If you can, I mean, if you do like the podcast, please leave a review. I really do appreciate it, or even better, share it with your friends. Um, you can contact me the old-fashioned way via email, sean at sportsgeekhq.com, or find me on social media at Sean Callanan or at SportsGeek. Uh, before I get into my chat with Marina Go, uh, who is the chair of Super Netball, and talk to her about media trends from her long career in the world, of media as a journalist and a publisher, um, and then her foray into sports, working on sports boards. I just want to talk a little bit about the Patreon campaign. Uh, you can check out the Patreon campaign at sportsgeekhq.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So after this run, after this after this drive, after this commute, please check that out um, and see how you potentially could support uh, our efforts in the sports content and business content space across the podcast and the newsletter um, each week, or at least we try to each week produce this podcast. And then each week we also produce Sports Geek News. Um, if you don't get that, go to sportsgeekhq.com slash SGN. Um, and yeah, the Patreon campaign is there to help pay for the costs of things like DJ Joel, James, my podcast editor. Uh, so if you want, you can go to sportsgeekhq.com slash Patreon. Um, there's a personal supporter option there at $4 a month, which is less than a cup of coffee. Um, and then if you're a brand or a sponsor or a sports tech company that wants to reach the Sports Geek audience, um, there's options there as well um, to get a shout out and a mention and promotion um, and have your logos and links in every single show notes. So please check out the supporters in the show notes. This episode will be sportsgeekhq slash 254. You can pretty much put any number in after sportsgeekhq.com to get the show notes. Uh, try it, random, random selection. See what episode you find and what guests you find. Um, and check it out. And please, yeah, check out the Sports Geek Patreon supporters. Uh, now, here is my chat uh, with Marina Go. She is the chair of Super Netball, of one of many particular things, and talk about someone that wears a lot of hats, Marina does. Um, and we talk a little bit about her career in the world of media and analyse media trends, but then also look at sports from her view, um, which is from a board level. So enjoy my chat with Marina Go. Uh, very happy to be here uh, in Redfern uh, and catching up with Marina Go. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I was going to do your titles because uh, yeah. it is titles, multiple uh, multiple hats. What is What are your current roles that are in your portfolio of all the roles that you do have? Well, I'll start with sports. So yeah. I chair the Suncorp Super Netball Commission. Um, I'm also the chair of Ovarian Cancer Australia. Uh, I'm on the Walkley Foundation, um, a trustee. 
but then in my commercial boards, I'm on the boards of uh, Energy Australia, 7-Eleven, Auto Sports Group and Propac. Um, I also chair the advisory board for the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology in Sydney. Um, and I sit on the diversity and, and advisory board for PwC. So you can see, listeners, why I didn't <laughs> read that out uh, because I didn't want to miss any. Um, but I wanted to, I guess, catch up with you. Um, we were just, b- before we got started, we were figuring out where we first crossed paths and it was on the conference circuit and one of your previous board positions was with West Tigers. That's right. Um, so I want to sort of dive into a bit of your background and career, how you got into the world, uh, world of sport and mm-hmm. then – from a, looking at sport from a board point of view and your perspective, yep. so you've got a, a strong media background. Mm-hmm. Where did you? Yeah, where did you get your start, and how did it? How did you end up in the world of sport? Uh, well, I had spent a lot of time, obviously, in media and in um, leadership roles in media, um, and I decided to do an MBA because I was promoted from being a journalist and an editor into running the business, and so I thought I'd better get yep. some business experience. Um, after I finished that, uh, I registered with women on boards, and um, and about six months later, Netball Australia came knocking. Uh, they were looking for somebody with media and marketing experience, and so obviously I ticked that box, uh, and um, and that so that was my first um, sports board uh, and I was on – so it was a governing body. I was on that board for seven years and um, stepped down at the end of 2013, early 14, um, and then I was approached by the NRL and they were – it was at a time when Dave Smith had come in as the CEO yep. and he'd come from a, a business background and apparently, as so legend has it, he walked in and said, where are all the women? Yep. Um, and of course, there were there were none. So uh, he went about ensuring that there was uh, increased representation of women um, at all levels of the code, uh, and so encouraged me to join um, a club board as a non-executive director. I had no idea that I would end up um, being the chair, uh, but at the very first meeting, the directors voted me in as chair. <laughs> so yep. I literally went straight in the deep end. Um, and I chaired the West Tigers board. I, you know, I'd signed on to do it for actually three years, although the shareholders say to me four. Yep. I stayed for four and a half um, and stepped down earlier this year uh, and then was immediately approached by um, Netball Australia who were setting up a new independent commission just to uh, govern the league, which is the premier women's league of any sport yep. um, in the country. And um, and that for me was a wonderful opportunity to go back into, first of all, governing body land, which I actually prefer, yep. um, but then also uh, netball, which is a sport that I um, had spent so much time helping helping develop from a governing body perspective. So um, I have a bit of a long history actually in sports governance now um, and I love it. So, yeah, so the first thing like of like looking for that media marketing experience and yeah. I didn't want to brush over it but, you know, you were running uh, magazines, you know, a Dolly magazine, a, a teen girl magazine. Like what kind of experience coming from that, you know, the publishing side of the business mm. And then coming into into the world of sport, what what do you think? What were some of the, I guess, key skills that you brought uh, to the space first at Nepal and then at and then at Wests? I think the most important thing is to understand that sports a business. Yeah. So you know, if you're if you're actually um, on the board of a major sport, and of course, netball and rugby league are two major sports in this country, um, then then it's not a community board. It's not you know, it's not your local sports club. Yep. 
Um, so once but that's you, where it's evolved from too. Oh, no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But when it gets to the scale of, you know, a rugby league club, mm-hmm. um, which has, you know, turnover anywhere between 20 and $30 million a year, then you, you actually need to get serious about um, the business and the governance. And so ensuring that the uh, the club is compliant, um, if you're a governing body, that you're compliant with all, all the rules and regulations, but also that you're actually uh, bringing in more money than you're spending. Right? Yep. So, it's very, so I think, you know, running uh, running a media business, running a magazine or a group of magazines or a little company, which is, which is what I've had experience doing, um, is no different to running a business in, in any other uh, sector. It's yep. just that the product is different. So in that in the case of sport, the product is the actual players and um, and you know the team that you're putting on the on the field or on the court each week. And so, like the media landscape and what it was then mm-hmm. to what it is now has you know vastly different is is vastly different. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was 2015 when we were at the Outsporting Future Conference, and you were talking about. Uh, what had been done at Wests and the growth of the digital departments and those kind of things, yeah. which you know, go back ten years when you're in the magazine game and that, like that wasn't that wasn't there. How's how do you think sport has adjusted to to the change of the uh, I guess publishing and media landscape? Well, I think for the look for the major uh, male sports codes, uh, the probably the biggest difference is that they were completely reliant on uh, exceptional coverage from the ma- the uh, major metropolitan newspapers, television stations, radio. Um, but the readership of those entities has now dispersed. And so um, you might still be reading the master, but you might be doing it through a different platform um, and a digital platform um, like, more likely. So uh, if that's the case, then it means that those uh, those sports have had to work harder in ins- ensuring that they're engaging the fans through digital media. For a sport like netball that had very limited coverage through Metropolis, it's been an yep. absolute godsend to have a platform where you can go direct to customer so you don't actually have to rely on uh, an, a masthead, a media organisation. You can directly, you know, you become the media organisation, yep. which is really what we did with West Tigers. We realised that um, we would um, the return would be significant if we invested in our digital team. Um, and there's a really brilliant digital team at West Tigers. Um, you know, it's not too large, but they're certainly very capable people. And we invested in a videographer and people, you know. And so uh, what, what we've discovered is that obviously as we've driven more traffic through our own channels, uh, we've been able to deliver back to sponsors in a way that we couldn't have if we had just relied on, um, you know, the Daily Telegraph covering it, for example. And Super Netball is a really good example because they've – They've gone down a different path from a media media rights model than has been in the past. The past has been we're a sport, hello TV, please hand over a big bag of cash and you can broadcast our sport. And like you're saying, Netball was fighting for space in that in that uh, in that landscape. And so rather than following that traditional model, they've they've gone to this like side by side, you know, collegiate sort of it's a shared, you know, shared revenue model. So it means that we both we both have to work hard. So Nine and Netball um, and Super Netball in particular, but not just because Netball Australia um, has the same arrangement for the Diamonds. Um, but we all have to work really hard on driving the traffic, which I think is – that's a relationship that means um, it's a it's an equal partnership relationship. Yep. Um, I mean, obviously we um, 
talk often about um, what each of us could be doing to improve the situation. Um, but we had a good year this year. So, um, you know, I think working together with your broadcaster instead of having expectations of them um, is a, has been a good outcome for Netball. What's your take? Like recently this week, the All Blacks have done a new deal with uh, with Sky um, in New Zealand and the All Blacks being a massive brand in, in New Zealand market, but it also in, incorporated the All Blacks and all New Zealand rugby getting 5% of Sky. Uh, what was your, like with your media hat on and looking yeah. at it from a point of view, were you like, wow, that's an interesting model? Like where, where do you think that kind of model goes? Um, well, again, I think that that is um, – I guess moving towards a partnership model, you know. I mean, it's a big call. What it says is the media understands the power of the All Blacks in New Zealand and, and, I mean, we know that with the Silver Fern. So the All Blacks and Silver Ferns are really dominant in New Zealand. It's a very small market um, and they over-index with those two sports. And so if you know that there's power and influence with that sport, then um, it's probably a smart move by Sky to do that because um, if – if the you know the, if the numbers increase, then everybody's pie gets bigger, and of course uh, rugby New Zealand will want the pie to get bigger. So they'll yeah. work really hard on ensuring um, that the eyeballs grow for Sky. And uh, so I I think that that looks like a really interesting model that could be beneficial to both. Yeah, definitely. And it's you know it's it's more than partnership. Like there's real yeah. there's, there's skin, skin in the game. In the game exactly. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see how you know if it's a model that other leagues look at or. Oh, everyone will be watching it very closely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. the Allbacks are a unique beast in, yes. uh, in the sports sphere, so it is uh, it is one to to watch. Um, so, one thing I wanted to ask again from your media background: um, how is the how is the consumer of content and media changed? You know, changed in the last 15, 20 years. You know, from yeah. you know print and magazine and you're making sure people were waiting to pick it up to now being always on you know on demand that kind of thing how is that how is how is that challenge and opportunity uh being tackled both in the traditional media sense but even in in sport or what's your take on how that how the consumer is changing uh i think the um the product development that changed everything in terms of consumer behaviour is a smartphone. So what it means is that in the past we relied on consumers to come to us. They found us, you know, you, you could publish a magazine or a newspaper, you put it on sale somewhere, the consumer had to go there to yep. buy it. Um, same with television, it was, a, you know, it's a basically by appointment so you know what's on where, you couldn't watch it at any other time. Um, maybe you could tape it. So now we've moved to a world where I can access anything I want any time of the day, no matter where I am in the world, um, via my smartphone. And and that's that has transformed everything, which is why we're seeing in sport. So, you know, with the Super Netball this year, the the Netball Live numbers just yep. increased significantly. Um, and it's because, you know, if if it's an inconvenient time to watch television – it's never inconvenient to look at your phone. So yeah. <laughs> you can be anywhere. And we had lots of stories about people being at weddings um, on Saturday afternoons so they couldn't actually get to television or the game. So they were sitting there, you know, in the church or reception watching the things on their phone. So that has transformed everything. It, it just means that we have to ensure that the product is good enough that a consumer will want to turn it on because yep. um, because we know that they can access it anywhere. And they, But we're competing with everything yeah. now, not just – not just another newspaper or another magazine, 
um, I think, you know, when, when you're looking at um, competitive products and which, you know, you know, Bauer and Pacific are about to go through that, um, it'll no longer be a, com- a conversation about, you know, is Woman's Day a new idea and competition because that's not their only competition. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's been the real game changer for, for media and for, and for consumers. And, and it's, to me it's also just the myths being busted. Like talking about Netball Live, yeah. like – as little as three years ago, people say, oh, people aren't going to watch a game of sport on their phone. Yeah. And like, well, yes, yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Like we were so wedded to the big screen TV. We all got bigger screen TVs and it's like, yes, but the convenience. Yes. And now it's becoming the first yeah, first port of call. Yep. Um, I was actually talking to a, a grade one teacher who was doing stuff with some kids on a PC and they couldn't figure out how to use the mouse mm. and the keyboard <laughs> because – and they went, oh, oh, this, these keys are like my iPad. Yeah. Like the, their first port of call, their first device and their go-to device is, is the phone and the swipe <laughs> and, the, and the pinch and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah. they just expect to be able to go, you know, oh, I just click here and, and it's on. Not well, you know. and look, I think the interesting thing too, which I think nobody anticipated, certainly from in a media from the media's point of view, that everybody knew that the next generation, so you know, Gen Y, Z, whatever, yep. whatever is after that, um, that they that you know that reaching them any other way via this, except via the smartphone would be difficult. Um, but if you speak to parents now, so you know, my parents are in their seventies, and um, my dad rings me and he'll say, oh, I just watched the netball. We were we were at something, but he watched it on his phone. Yeah. And so I think now it's actually um, it's infiltrated every generation. Yeah. Um, and, look, there may be a few that st- still hold out and don't like it and eyesight can be a part of that, but, um, but it is much more widespread. The uptake is enormous and we're seeing enormous gains from one year to the next just in that particular medium. But And we are seeing, I guess, the, the lawyers – and the media rights yeah. uh, negotiators catching up to that. Yeah, that's like, right. So, so, you know, we previously had, you know, uh, uh, rights deals where, you know, 12 inches were mentioned because that's how big the mobile tablet could be and you couldn't mm. stream it. But now customer demand, either either via the products they've got, whether it's Netflix and Stan, they go, well, I hit the button, I hit this button and then I hit that button and it's on my big screen. They're expecting yeah. the same in the sports space, exactly. which is going to change – you know, uh, what the media rights deals look like. We're seeing more of them bundled to, bundled together. So the TV operators are saying, well, we want the digital piece, we want the mobile piece. Yeah. Um, and That's so right. it is changing the way the whole negotiations are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, gone are the days of, well, not quite in all markets, but, you know, oh, you can watch it here but you can't cast it to your TV and that kind of stuff because that's what people want. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think... You know, for as long as they could, I think broadcasters and, you know, media organisations were trying to separate um, different avenues for the consumer. But what they've discovered is that it's inconvenient for the consumer to be separate, for things to be separated like that. So they just go elsewhere where people are making it more convenient. So they've had to come to the party. And so as a result, business models are um, having to be rethought again. And I I think the most interesting thing for media and the most challenging thing is just how quickly those those models are having to be recast. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, because we still don't, you know, something could happen next year that we don't even know about. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You're seeing new platforms or uh, uh, being used. I mean, I remember in those early days of digital, like Telstra had the rights of AFL and NRL that could have just said, oh, sorry, Facebook, you can't have any of the content. 
Yeah. Like not, not we're not talking TV rights or anything. It's like no, no. The the deal was covering the internet. Yeah. You're right. And then these new platforms, and now we're starting to see them loosened, and again those myths busted of oh, well, if we put all these highlights there, no one will watch. Like we've heard Adam Silver talk about snackable content and that's actually getting people to watch more content. Yeah. Like that kind of piece of, you know, whether it's West Tigers or whether it's uh, netball clubs or super netball being able to put out more content, it does drag more people in. Yes. And so that's where you've got to be playing in this fragmented space because they're all everyone's on all these different platforms. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think the people that seem to be, winning uh, are those who actually understand content so um because what i noticed with west tigers is you know we hadn't played finals for so many years but but we were actually punching above our weight in terms of um traffic to our site but we were creating content that was more than what we wanted people to know so some people are still stuck in that paradigm of creating well this is what we want our fans to know we actually had moved to understanding that we need to give them what they want right yep. so so we were listening to them we we're getting feedback um having you know fan fan forums where people were telling us the sort of things they want to read about and it's and it's broader than just um you know how people played on the weekend they want to know much more about players so uh i can still see that some teams haven't understood that um and that's still the opportunity but that's where actually having content people in organizations um, and, and not just sport, but this this goes for business too, wherever yep. you're publishing content about your organisation, if you don't understand what content does yep. for the people that you want to attract, then you're not going to get it right. So, you know, that's the opportunity. Oh, definitely. I mean, like just the advantage of actually listening. Like yeah. there's some platforms that people over-index on, like Twitter for one, there's a lot of chatter and people listen a lot more closely, mm. but then they'll put something up on Facebook and just let the comments run free. And it's yeah. like, well... Why are we doing all this engagement, replying and thanking and retweeting on Twitter when there's yeah. just as much good conversation and good feedback on what it is yeah. um, and managing that, taking that feedback, how do you do that loop to come back to them? Because mm. um, it is a fine, it is a tough balance of listening to them because some of them are just allowed people to, yeah. right? And so I think having that purpose around what your content um, is trying to get out of your fans from an engagement point of view because it is easy to tick the box, oh, we've got to do this piece of content. We know those fans love it but it's like are we doing it for, you know, a different segment of fans and those kind of things. Um, I did want to talk about, as fitting that we're here, the Walkley Foundation which is all about journalism. Mm -hmm. Um, It's gone through a massive change over the past, you know, 15 years with this advent of digital. Mm. Um, How tough is it to be... You know, a journalist these days when anybody can open up a Twitter account, start saying something rightly or wrongly and trying to keep, you know, the, and with the pressure of being first and fast, like yeah. how is, what's the yeah. challenge for a sports journalist or any journalist for that matter um, in this day and age? It's interesting. I think we've been through a cycle where uh, maybe about five years ago, I think there was a real anxiety about um, needing to be first. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and so if people were suddenly... Um, I noticed that journalists who were paid by mastheads who were obviously wanting traffic driven to the masthead were actually um, leaking things via Twitter. Yep. And and I thought, well, that's not going to be great. <laughs> you know, yep. People aren't going to be happy with that. Um, I think they've become more clever about it now and so so now they're teasing via Twitter rather yep. than leaking um, and then all of the work and research is, is still happening um, 
you know, back back on the platform where, um, you know, obviously they're hoping to attract revenue. Yep. Um, I, I think that I think that readers have, have um, now come back to wanting the facts to be right. Yeah. So I think we went through that period. It was almost like we'll believe anything that anyone says and the first to market with whatever is what's going to be believed. So let's not bother checking. Let's just get there. Um, I think that bit a few media organisations on the bum, to be honest. And um, well, we've had a big trust well, trust exactly. issue, right? Uh, with trust went really, really fell down, and it's something that we, um, you know, we we speak a lot about at the Walkleys. Um, and trust in media, or well, trust anywhere. So yep. every organisation, sport, you know, business, it doesn't matter. But certainly media. Um, what we've noticed in the past twelve months is that our customer, readers are again starting to trust major media organisations and um, and recognised uh, journalists, quality yep. journalists, again, above some of the platforms and, and also some of the people speaking on the platforms who are not qualified journalists because we were really worried for, for a few years there that it was becoming very grey and that um, the average person in the street could tell the difference. We now believe that, that they can again and, in fact, they're sick of all the rubbish that's been proven to be lies and factually incorrect. Yep. Um, so I think it's come full circle but it does make it difficult having the noise there. Yeah, but it has been a, a maturity thing because uh, like yep. there was early on journalists were like, what are these platforms? Why should yep. we be on there? Then they got on there, then they got caught up in the – arguing with everybody, yeah. right? Yeah, some <laughs> and, of them still do. You know, and it's like, you know, you, you you know, you wouldn't be shouting at someone at a train station, but that's what it happens on social media yeah. to the cor- course correction of the media org saying, well, you're right, we don't want to leak the, the content here. We want the people to come back. That's our business mm-hmm. model, right, that kind of thing. And, and so now it's a matter of like there has been this pushback to, yes, I, I still will have the algorithms show me things, but actually if I want to know what the news is, I have to start making that daily activity to go to those sites or follow those journalists because we don't know what the algorithms tweaked to send us. Like So there's a bit of on the consumer side we're more savvy at curating mm. but we're actually looking for the, the journalists to lead us into uh, the right content, you know, and, and earn some of it and follow that trust. Yeah, that's right. Um, one of the things, you know, you are an author. Yes. <laughs> um, which is one of the things uh, in your book, 20 Success Strategies for Female Leaders, um, which is something that obviously you've been a big part of in the in the world of sport. What's some of your advice to aspiring female leaders? Um, well, I my advice that I give to um, women who are coming through um, is to – is to look for opportunities, create opportunities. Um, you can't wait for somebody to tap you on the shoulder because you're doing a great job. You actually have to find a way to differentiate yourself um, and get yourself noticed. And so, um, but and then once you do take the opportunity, um, don't sit back and think, you know what, I'm not sure that I'm ready for that. Yep. Um, even if you're not ready, if you get the opportunity, you say yes, um, and then you'll work it out because. That is what everybody else does. Yep. <laughs> That's what most of the guys do, which is why they've been successful. Um, and so really backing yourself, getting in there and backing yourself and knowing that, you know, if you're given the opportunity, you're going to be successful or you can certainly give it a red hot go. Um that's that's exactly what I've done in my career 
And I feel that um, still a lot of the women that speak to me and ask me for advice will say, oh, you know, I don't feel comfortable about it. You know, I, I think I'll wait for another couple of years. And then I say to them, but what if what if you're not offered the opportunity in a couple of years? You may yep. you may have missed you may miss the opportunity. So um yeah, backing yourself I think is the biggest piece of advice that I can give anybody. And then when you have someone like Dave Smith in a role that pushes, uh, a, you know, uh, diversity on boards and things like that, what's your conversation with them on saying, you know, why should you should you should be having more women on boards and diversity on boards? How do you help that? Com- how do you help that that conversation, but also actually make it happen? Yeah. Like, what's your advice to those people? Yeah. Um, well, first of all. Um, Diversity is just one of two factors. So there's diversity and there's inclusion. So um, just getting women around the board table or through the ranks isn't enough. They actually need to feel included and part of the culture, which is often where it falls over. Yep. Um, and I see it all. I saw a lot in rugby league. Um, and the reason that that matters is sometimes if women are excluded from the conversation, but they're sitting around the board table, um, then that's the reason for someone to say, oh, well, she's not really contributing, you know, it hasn't worked out, so why would we want another one of them? Yep. Um, so what I tried to do while I was in rugby league is try and get to know all the women on all the other boards, um, even though they were competing clubs, but certainly yep. in terms of making sure that um, I could give them some advice about, um, you know, what questions to ask, how to speak up, how to make sure that they were included. Um, but I guess what I used to say to the NRL and, you know, Dave was great because he really believed in it, um, is it's your, it's your responsibility. You know, if if the reason that it matters for your sport is that you have a stated objective of wanting to increase the fan base for women, for rugby league. Um, and so therefore you need to actually understand what that means. You need to know, um, what it is that will make them more interested in rugby league. What, you know, what will make them spend their money, attend games, watch games. Um, and, and so you actually, you can't assume as a guy that you know what that is. So you actually need to have women around you who might know that. Um, but also just diverse views, you know, we all come to the table with different life experiences. So even the guys around the board table, could be more diverse. So yeah. they should have different life experiences. A lot of them have the same life experiences. Um, at least, you know, y- y- having different ideas coming with – no innovation happens otherwise. Yeah. Um, so in my experience, women that women of sports boards um, have changed, certainly the tone, um, had some impact on the culture um, and have been able to put different ideas on the table. So whether or not those ideas get up is all about whether they've been included. Yep. Know, whether they're really truly included um, and valued for their contribution. Do you think we're starting to see um, some significant change in, uh, and I guess uh, like the renaissance and the, the buzz of women's sport and I don't want to diminish it by saying that but, yeah. you know, with uh, AFLW and, and women's big mm-hmm. bash, obviously netball and, and football have had long-time support yeah. um, in, in women's sport but do you think like that it's – you know, it's a movement and there's more, you know, do you think w- women on boards is one help push that, but then also it's come from the grassroots because there's so many local footy clubs and local cricket clubs and local netball that are run by women, yeah. like from a volunteer point of view, but we're just starting to see it happen from both the top and the bottom that's causing this movement. Yeah, look, I think the I think the problem um, has been in the past that although women have been um, involved in the uh, operations, I yep. think, of um, local clubs and teams, 
the men have been the decision makers and so there has not been an opportunity previously. Um, I think the wave of interest in women's sport has helped every sport. So I think that's the wonderful thing and I've been involved in roundtable discussions with uh, leaders of other sports that have, it could be male codes that have a female arm or female sports and we talk about how we work together to increase the pie for women's sports and how we support each other so even though we may be competing at some level for maybe broadcast rights, yep. maybe for sponsorship, I don't think we compete for um, our followers or fans because yep. I think fans follow lots of sports. Correct, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but certainly, you know, there'll be some dollars we compete with. But, you know, as we say, we're competing with the male sports too. So um, what we have to actually do is to ensure that uh, the – I guess the enthusiasm for women's sport right now is more than just a trend or a buzz or, yep. you know, something that just will die. Yep. Um, and we need to work together to make sure that happens. And so I I think that we're at a critical point now where suddenly people are sitting up and taking notice. It's taken a couple of years of, you know, women's sports teams being world champions yep. and, no, you know, no coverage and suddenly there's starting to be a bit of coverage. I mean, I was delighted this season with the fact that, you know, our grand final for the Super Netball, every paper covered it. Yep. Um, we had, you know, the, we had the pointer in the Australian, we had the, we had the back page of, of the sport for on the, in the Sydney Morning Herald. We had quite good coverage for the Daily Telegraph in the Daily Telegraph. So, um, And then that was replicated around the different states where those papers have sister papers. And so um, it was brilliant and it, and it's unprecedented for, for netball. So um, we're now seeing it with um, cricket. Yep. So there's a lot of enthusiasm behind cricket. Obviously the, the Matildas, you could not avoid that. Um, there's, still, there's still not enough – uh, weekly coverage or daily coverage, obviously, but I think you've got to start somewhere. But that's also back to the uh, there's so much swell of support on your, the native channels of yes. netball and the Matildas and those kind of things that the mainstream media has to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Like when you've got a full stadium yeah. of people cheering, um, you know, women's sport and Super Netball Grand Finals and things like that. It's like, well. We need to be, you know, we need to be covering that. Yeah, and, um, look, and I think that's been the value of the platforms actually because I do think the mainstream media, well, they are. They're definitely keeping a very close eye on what's trending, uh, what people are talking about. They're looking at, you know, the key influences in different sectors. Um, and, you know, yeah, there may be followers but it doesn't matter. We don't care why they do it as long as they do. Yeah. So. <laughs> and media is always going to follow the audiences. So yeah. if the sport goes and uh, creates the audiences, then that's yeah. why they'll, they'll come. So it's, a you know. Absolutely. Kevin Costner style, you know, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's the opportunity and that's where I think um, the the sustainability of women's sport is that, hey, how is how are we all doing it? Because yeah. if everyone's, you know, rising tides that fill boats, mm-hmm. you know, you've got the great stories of multi-sport athletes, yeah. you know, of uh, that are playing AFLW and netball and that kind of thing and just, you know, and having young girls, you know, uh, seeing big role models that are, playing these different sports and opening up all these opportunities, that's going to get more, you know, cheeks on the seats, more people turning sure. up and that kind of thing. Yeah. So where do you think from a from a netball as a chair, um, super netball, where do you, you know, what are the plans and where could it go? Because yeah. it's like a, a terrific, like a terrific platform and, and I, you know, and I do feel that it sort of got looked over with the buzz when it's mm. like netball's been doing a lot of great stuff. Yeah. For a long, long time. Were you a netballer growing up? No, 
No, I, I, I didn't play netball at all. Didn't so. play netball at all? <laughs> no, I, I, um, I literally joined the board of Netball Australia as a, a complete independent, so yep. completely outside the sport. Um, but I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, once you're exposed to the elite level, um, it's incredible. But it's got such a strong, you know, particip- uh, participation base. Yeah. You know, um, I grew up in country Victoria. My mum, you know, played centre at the, you know, football netball club, which a lot of them were. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and now Super Netball. So what's it been like in this transition to Super Netball, independence, mm-hmm. going, you know, uh, new structure? Yeah. How is it, you know, how's it going and then where do you think you're going to go from the current platform you've got? Yeah, so it's going well. I mean, we, uh, you know, the new commission came together partway through the season, so we were not responsible, obviously, for the season. Um, they're very proud of it. Um, so the Super Netball is now three years old and um, the commission met about uh, about a month ago and um, started planning for the next broadcast rights agreement yep. um, and then the, and the next five-year cycle for our, our competition. And um, and so one of the, I think one of the things that's quite obvious is that we need more content. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what form does that take? Because we've got um, – we've only got eight teams in the competition, which was a great way for the competition to start. It's, it's you know, building sustainability. I think the most important thing for us is that we have good club health. And yep. so, you know, we know that in the early stages of a competition – um, although, you know, we, we do fund a, a quite a chunk of it through Netball Australia um, for each team. There's, there's, you know, there's some gaps in funding and, and it's it's difficult in the early years for clubs to actually at- attract the sponsors at the level that they need. Um, it's expensive to put, you know, for, on game day just to open a venue, for example. So that matters to us first. We've, we've got to make sure that we can help the clubs bridge the gap. Yep. Um, and then we need – but, you know, in so doing, we have to grow the pie, which means we've got to grow the commercial pie. Yep. So we're looking at how we can work with – the broadcasters, sponsors, um, to and you know through more content because that's actually what everybody's looking for to try and grow this sport in the next couple of years. Um, but then everyone's talking about the potential for expansion at some point. I mean that won't happen in the next couple of years, but yep. it may well happen in the next five years. Um, but we we need a sustainable way of growing. So um, for me, in terms of the holy grail, what that looks like, you know, we often talk about what does success look like. Um, my view is that um, our female athletes should be able to survive as full-time professional athletes if they choose, yep. which means that they sh- they need to be paid um, the, the kinds of salaries that the, the guys are pay- being paid for the male sports professional codes, um, and we're a long way from that. So that you know that's a bit of an indicator for us as to you know what success could look like. Yep. Um, and of course, if we're going to be setting salaries at that level in in the future, and obviously we're not talking short term, um, but it's, it's an aspirational goal, then we as a sport would need to help the clubs fund that. Yeah. You know, in the way that you know AFL does and NRL does, and um, so you know we've got some lofty aspirations, but um, I've got a fantastic group of people that sit around the board table with me um, who come from very strong commercial backgrounds who are used to winning, yeah. you know, and, and that's what I really love about it. We're, we're completely independent. Um, so we're not beholden to the past. Um, we don't have to think about what worked or what didn't work in the past because as we know in business, sometimes something didn't work in the past, but it was the timing. It yeah. wasn't the idea. Um, so it's all fresh. It's very exciting. We're enthusiastic. Um, and 
regardless of what we do in the short term, next year's going to be better than this year. So yeah. <laughs> even though this year was great. So. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. But you've got yeah. a really strong platform and, you know, we talked about the diversity, uh, the fragmentation of media, but it offers all these opportunities. Yeah. And so Nepal's in a position where you can be agile to take advantage of new and up-and-coming platforms, uh, leveraging your players in a different manner than other leagues do, yeah. um, those kind of things uh, that, you know, give you that that hockey stick yes. uptake, you know, uh, up and to the right is what, is what you want all the graphs to be doing, yeah. um, that kind of thing. So I want to thank you very much for your time. I want to uh, finish with the closing five. Uh-huh. Do you remember the first sports event you ever attended? Um, well, apart from, you know, school kind of sporting yep. events, um, I do remember, so it was 1981, um, I was 15 or 16, so year 10, and um, I attended a football match, a rugby league match at Parramatta Stadium, I think it was called then, yep. uh, Parramatta versus Manly, which was the the whole, the old um, rivalry. Yep. Um, and I was a Parramatta Eels fan and my best friend um, at the time was a mad Manly fan because she was in love with Steve Martin. Okay. <laughs> All these rugby league names from the past. Um, and, yeah, it was probably my first introduction to rugby league. Oh, terrific, terrific. Um, you would have been a lot of sports events now in your time. Do you yes. have a Do you have a favourite uh, – Favourite food memory at a sports event? Well, I love, you know, I love the tradition of um, the pies and sausage rolls at halftime yep. and uh, and I'm not a pie person, I'm a sausage roll okay. girl. So, um, so yeah, I, that's kind of when I eat my sausage rolls as really yep. <laughs> at sporting games. Uh, terrific, terrific. What's the first app you open in the morning? Um my first app is Twitter. Twitter? So I'm a Twitter person um, and I – and also because I'm a journalist, I go straight there for news. Yep. Um, and then after that I check all my bank accounts and do all those things. But um, the very first thing and the very last thing I do at night is I check Twitter to see what's trending and what people are talking That's about. That's a very dangerous thing. <laughs> last thing at night you fall down a rabbit hole of what's happening. Uh, oh, yeah. What's your Twitter handle if people want to follow um, you? And Yes, it's Marina S. Go. So Marie- unfortunately Marina Go was taken. Who would have thought <laughs> Oh well, Marina's <laughs> go. Uh, send please send Marina a tweet. Um, is there someone that you either follow on Twitter or or you read or a journalist you follow that uh, you suggest the podcast listeners should should follow? Um, oh, that, look, there are so many people that um, I follow depending on um, what I'm. I guess what I'm interested in reading about for the day. Um, you know, I followed, for example, Dr. Kirsten Ferguson. Um, when she did her Celebrating Women all of last year, which yep. was just amazing. Um, but, of course, I'm going to ask you to – I'm going to recommend that you follow the Super Netball um, Definitely. Twitter yep. handle. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, oh, there are just so many. I mean, you know, there's a fantastic um, young woman called Cowboy Kate who tweets about netball. Okay. And, um, and I really love her enthusiasm and she seems to know – she sends you on the money in terms of knowing who might win and, you know. So I like – I actually enjoy um, following people who are not, um, you know, experts, I guess, um, yep. who, are, who are consumers and I like to understand what they're thinking and, and what's what's making them angry. Um, yeah, so yeah. get that fan point of view. Yeah, I'm really um, interested in the fan point of view because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a consumer person um, in that – the most important person in my world, regardless of business or sport, is actually the customer. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, no, no, completely. Because, yeah, yeah, if you're just like, you know, reading the trends and what the pun- uh, the pundits are saying about things and things like that and you're never actually sitting in the stands and finding out what the fan thought of the match or the broadcast or how yeah. it was covered, 
then you you know it's and you don't get that type of insight to, at a board level, mm. like you can be very disconnected very quickly. Absolutely. Um, well, you may have spoiled it, but which uh, <laughs> which platform is your uh, MVP? So I'm a mad mad Twitter person. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I joined it the day that it arrived in Australia, and it's because I'm a I'm a former journalist. Yeah. And I think it's a platform where a lot of journalists speak to each other, but um, but certainly from a news point of view, it's the fastest way to find out um, what people are talking about and certainly what's in the news. It is, yeah. Like like I think that's where it does work with sport. It's Twitter is where yeah. live happens. has been their, their tagline for a long time and yeah. and it does happen with sport. But like, yeah, when there's something live news, whether it's a big announcement or some event, it's like, okay, I can dive in and see what my followers are, are saying but then yeah. go, go wider yeah. um, and that's where it is. Like I said, I think it was, you know, some journalists just went in and went, oh, you know, this yeah. is, you know, direct line of what main, you know, the public are saying. Um, but it was funny how some were sceptical of, of going in, but it is just now like the, the news platform. Yeah. And it's just for mine, it's just like it's going to be interesting where see where Twitter goes to actually be, you know, they're still trying to figure out the sustainability of the of of the product. Yeah, that's like right. we're all, it's a great utility, mm, exactly. um, but we're not, you know, we're not really paying for it a lot mm, no. um, with our data or anything like like that. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if it, you know, sustainable because mm. like I don't want it to go away. It's mm. a really useful utility. So um, hopefully Jack can figure that out. I hope so. <laughs> um, so other than uh, other than people uh, sending you a tweet, Marina's go. Where, uh, where else can people uh, find you on the internet or tell you that they listen to the podcast? Um, well, my, I, you know, I'm on a lot of platforms, but virtually everything else for me is private. And and I had to make Facebook and Instagram, for example, private because um, once you become the chair of West Tigers, you don't want your family photos being taken and yep. used somewhere else. So, so I try and keep my private things private. Um, so that's it's. Apart from my email address, that's no, no, probably no, you don't the that only. Up, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, it's pretty common. Like I think Twitter's Twitter the most and, common. You know, LinkedIn is that kind yeah, of thing. I know of, I'm on LinkedIn, yeah. Yeah, LinkedIn is you know, where people you know, connect and that, that sure. kind of thing. But it, it is a common common thing and you know, I have, have advised a few CEOs in that sort of space and even players like early on, uh, like having open Facebooks, I'm like, you can have all the privacy, no worries in the world, but you're actually protecting your family and that that's you have to do you have yes. to do that when you're in a position a public position so completely understandable um, thank you very much for your time today thank you new workshops on audience content distribution valuation and pitch following sports geeks digital to dollars process go to digitaltodollars.com Thanks again to Marina. Uh, be sure to connect with her on LinkedIn. Um, there will be links in the show notes if you go to sportsgeekhq.com slash 254. Um, and as she said, uh, she's still a journalist at heart and Twitter is her platform of choice. Uh, so send her a tweet. Tell her that you listened to this episode. Uh, Marina S. Go. Marina's Go is what her Twitter handle is. Um, I'd love to see some of that chatter backwards and forwards. Um, with your feedback, what do you think of the uh, media trends and the latest rights deals? And also, what's your opinion on uh, on sports boards? What can sports do to better serve the full market? 
and get some diverse opinions on boards. Um, really enjoyed the chat. I'm glad we finally got to organise Marina, so thank you very much. Uh, before I wrap up, I just want to talk a little bit about the digital to dollars process and sort of how it's being transformed and by by clients and how they're requesting it. Um, by, by and large, if you listen to the podcast, you'd know it's got these five pillars of knowing your audience, knowing your content, knowing your distribution, knowing your value, and knowing your pitch. And the whole goal of digital to dollars is to drive more revenue and drive more value out of what you're doing in the digital space. Now, that might be internal outcomes like uh, increasing attendance, uh, increasing database strength, um, uh, selling more tickets, selling more selling more merchandise, those kind of things. Um, but primarily, it's also about how, how you can integrate and work with your partners and drive more revenue and activation money from, from your partners. So have ha- happy sponsors around what you're trying to do um, with, with your with your digital assets and, and how they can connect with your fans. Um, so one way it's actually being uh, worked, we're about to uh, do it in this in this format, is uh, in a one-day workshop where we're really focusing on the first three pillars of know your audience, know your content, know your distribution, and effectively doing a review of those areas for the team to give, them, give the whole organization an understanding of those three pieces. Uh, so how digital can affect the audience, how your data people and the audience that you do have needs to be fl- uh, flowing into your content planning and the and the planning of what you're doing on your distribution. So distribution is your social media and uh, digital channels, um, including email. Um, so we're going to do a deep dive workshop with them and an education piece to sort of set the foundation of what do you need to do. And then an outcome of that of that. Uh, of that workshop is is recommendations going forward of things that they want to be tackling um, in the season ahead or in the next you know four to six weeks um, and then we can come back once they've I guess solidified and and have a greater understanding of of what they can do in the space that we can start looking at uh, the value and the pitch proposition of what they're trying to do so it's a really good space if you feel like we're really just not ready um, we're, we're under resourced. We don't have the right people in place, um, but we want a greater understanding of the organisation to understand what digital can do. It's a really good starting point of of what a digital transformation process might look like. So, that's that's one of the ways uh, that that the process is flexible enough to to work with um, different needs, but also different budgets. So, if you're interested um, in that for your business, it can be uh, in person or. or or, or online, um, please reach out, Sean, at sportsgeekhq.com. Uh, check out the Digital Dollars process at digitaldollars.com. Um, I'd love your feedback. I'd love your your take on how you think it could be applied to, to your business or your brand. Um, uh, so, yes, yeah, so that's, uh, that is Digital Dollars. And before I wrap up, if you want to get stay in touch with latest trends, be sure to know that we've got two newsletters that, that come out, sportsgeekhq.com SGN, which is Sports Geek News, which is a wrap-up of all the news and articles that I read of a weekly basis. Um, and I sort of sent out an email if you haven't haven't checked it out, if you are subscribed to sort of what that process looks like. Um, and then we've also got Sports uh, SGE Sports News, um, which is a bit more of a focus on the world of esports and gaming. You can check that out at sgesports.com. Um, and... I'd really appreciate it if you could support these efforts such as this podcast and the newsletters I just mentioned by checking out our Sports Geek Patreon campaign. Go to sportsgeekhq.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Um, I'd really appreciate support. If you like this podcast, if you got to this part of part of the podcast, you've done, well, you've done very well and I thank you very much for listening. Um, and until next week, my name is Sean Callanan and you've been listening to Sports Geek.
Join Sports Geek Nation, access to exclusive Slack and Facebook groups with regular Q&A sessions with Sean Callanan. Go to sportsgeeknation.com to join. Need help with your digital rate card? Not sure how to price your assets? Is there a disconnect between digital and commercial? That is where Sean works best, in digital divorce counselor mode. Book a time for a call with Sean to discuss the Sports Geek process. Go to sportsgeekhq.com slash phone call. Go to sportsgeekhq.com for more sports digital marketing resources.